Hi, this is Kevin Sorbo, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, along with our guest, Paul Robert Coyle. Paul is with us via Zoom. Paul's memoir, Swords, Starships, and Superheroes, from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, a TV writer's life scripting the stories of heroes is not only the story of Paul's 40-plus year journey as a writer, story editor, and producer for network, syndicated, and cable television, but includes many, many useful lessons on what to do if you wish to pursue a career as a professional writer, whether you want to write for television or any other form. Swords, Starships, and Superheroes available in paperback and as an ebook through JacobsBrownMediaGroup.com. You can also find it Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Before we went to break, Paul was talking about working with Kevin Sorbo behind the scenes of Hercules and how Kevin Sorbo particularly respected his writers. Kevin has communicated via fax in those days. <laughs> he his notes. And um, the, so I got a, the first, uh, t- my first, as I say, at first I'd written a bunch of Xenas and then I wrote a Hercules and then they brought me on a staff at Hercules. So now I'm new on staff at Hercules and I'm writing an episode that was uh, a big sweeps week episode that was going to guest star Lucy Lawless and uh, uh, have characters from the Xenoverse come over in a you know a big sci kind of a sci-fi thing with a parallel universe and Herc would be playing his own evil twin. I'd written that script and it was in prep. It was going to shoot uh, three or four days. And uh, Kevin's note. I, I'm called in an emergency meeting because Kevin's notes had come in via fax. And he was very, let's say he was very unhappy with that uh, script. Yeah. He did, you know, he didn't. Uh, so I'm saying, first of all, they said, well, we're going to give you these notes, but uh, don't take them personally. There's stuff going on behind the scenes here. It's the politics that I alluded to earlier, yeah. which we'll explain to you. But uh, read the notes and then come into the meeting and we'll discuss it. The notes went on forever. I, I include about half of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm reading them. And I'm, first of all, I'm saying, oh, yeah. About a third of them, he absolutely is correct in this observation. You know, I did this. This can be made better, or, or I did something wrong, but it's you know, I'll correct it, or I'll you know, I don't know how, but I'll think about it. But it's the second batch of notes, I would say, I disagreed with, but I will discuss it in the meeting, and if everybody wants me to make those changes, I will. And then the th- his third set of notes, I would say, just didn't make sense to me. I'm saying, what? What is he talking about? He's objecting to things that aren't already been in the script. I don't understand. So we have the meeting. We get together for the meeting, and they, you know, they preface it by saying, "Understand that uh, at that point, Xena, in terms of publicity, was starting to overclips Hercules. It was becoming, you know, <laughs> the runaway hit. It was a great show, and it started a female lead, which immediately made it distinctive and different. There wasn't much like that on television at that point." And Kevin probably was a little bit jealous and feeling that, uh, you know, so he wanted Hercules to be as best as possible. And frankly, he probably wasn't crazy about having Lucy come over and do a guest shot. And uh, he wanted to get this whole script put aside. He didn't want to cancel the whole thing, but he said, oh, you know, let's shoot it next month or, you know, let's, let's rethink it and rewrite it. The producers didn't want to do that because uh, Lucy, they'd lose her availability. So I made all those changes. It was a a hectic overnight session. It was very early on on my staff experience. So uh, I put a lot of stress on myself. I ended up puking my guts out in the the bathroom that night. But I made the changes overnight. And ultimately, people were happy with that script, even Kevin. And it, it turned out to be a fan favorite episode. But those are the kinds of experience, behind the scenes stuff that a writer 
especially a staff writer needs to, to deal with. Yeah, and, and if it's, freelancer had turned in that script, somebody else would have uh, made the necessary change. Yeah, so, and again, having been on both sides of the equation, at least you had a chance to fix your own work, which would not have been the case if you were, if, if this were just a freelance script turned in. But uh, at the same time, you know, you get insight and you give us insight into some of the inside stuff that that can go on on the course of a show that you have to navigate as a staff member. And as we said earlier, politics aside, I can understand some of where Kevin Sorbo was coming from because it's his show, and so there's a sort of feeling of pride. You know, uh, this is supposed to be about Hercules, you know. so. (laughs) Kevin also had a feeling that uh, Zena was stealing a lot of his writers and staff and crew people and stunt people and so forth which may have been true over in New Zealand, I, I don't know. But in terms of uh, here, I mean, I Hercules stole me from Xena, so it was the opposite. Yeah. I, I started in Xena first, and I, and I came over. Yeah. So um, anyway, yes, the, the point is, and we continued to get uh, notes uh, from Kevin over the next few years, but, you know, nothing was ever as frantic as that, that first one, in, in my experience. No, and more often than not, his suggestions were right on. Oh, yeah, sure, they're very good, yeah. Yeah. Not always, but some we disagreed with. And another that was the episode where he was playing his own evil twin. And none of his notes addressed that character. And he felt that Hercules had nothing to do in the episode. But I'm saying, well, doesn't Kevin understand that he is playing this, <laughs> this bad guy? You know, he doesn't seem to. The showrunner assured me that he did. I, I just, I frankly don't think, I think he gave that a read and saw the, the lines attributed to the sovereign, the, the bad guy, and assumed this was some guest star that yeah. was going to be cast. Yeah. I think that was just a misunderstanding. That, uh, that was my feeling. Well, but, uh, that was a kind of objection that I didn't... He has plenty to do with the script, but I think he has a lot of uh, great lines. Uh, and he did. You know, Ultimately, he was terrific in that part. And that, that also became a recurring character. Yeah. And I got a character creation fee for every time he reappeared. Sword Starships and Superheroes available in paperback and as an ebook through our friends at Jacobs Brown Media Group. Uh, you can also find it at Amazon.com, other online retailers. Paul Robert Coyle with us via Zoom, uh, sharing some memories of his time as a staff writer on Hercules, The Incredible Journeys. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. What's interesting is you're on staff with Hercules, late 90s, like 97, 98. It was around the time of the Internet, as we come to know it today, was just beginning to come into four, and we were just beginning to see the sort of fan groups that we now take for granted today. And what's interesting is, and you tell me if I'm wrong, as staff, you took into consideration how fans were reacting to certain characters or certain shows. You wouldn't necessarily bend over to appease the thing, but you kept a, you guys kept a pulse on what was going on. Yes, we tried to. People wrote letters in those days. <laughs> so we would get... Yes, yes. In, you know, or critical letters or whatever. Letters yes, and faxes. Yes. starting to happen. Yeah. People didn't... We didn't have it on our computers. So the email didn't really exist. Cell phones didn't really... They were not a common thing yet. Yeah. So um, I did go to... You'd be able to go to Kinko's and log on to the internet and, and find these chat rooms where they were talking about Hercules and Xena. Um, and I would do that. I'd sit there for hours, you know, reading this stuff. But um, 
primarily it was letters we'd get we'd hear from people and and uh, i would speak at conventions we had you know every weekend there was a hercules Zena convention in a different city all over the country believe me we rivaled star trek at, at our in those days at our at our peak of popularity so i was uh, you know hearing from the fans and the trouble always there was the fans are reacting to, to a show that aired last week that we wrote four months ago mm-hmm. So we're always ahead of the fans, but we're not, you know, not able to tell them what we've got planned. Exactly. So, um, there's that uh, delay there, but, um, but generally speaking, that I was, I liked uh, interacting with the fans. But you can't let the fans run the show, and all, all they want to hear about is, why did you bring this character back? I'll do the same thing that you did two years ago. You know, it's all variations on, you know, let's bring this character back from even if they died. You know, uh, but at one point. There was a negative, a big blowback from the fans because we. <laughs> the plan was I had nothing to do with this overall plan, but the the, the new showrunners decided we're going to kill off Eolus, who was a very popular recurring character yeah. played by Michael Hurst, um, who played me in a couple modern day. Episodes, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to th- we'll get to that in just a second. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they were going to kill off Eolus, and. Um, but they, they had a plan in mind. They loved Michael Hurst, and they wanted to keep him on the show, but yeah. they were going to... It was a villain that was, uh, was threading through both Hercules and Zena, and he, that was that villain was going to take over Eolus' body, and then now Hurst's best friend becomes his worst enemy, and that would be a season-long arc. Um, but Eolus was, in fact, meant to be killed off for good. Uh, plus, they were going to bring his, his, uh, the, the uh, alternate universe character that I created, uh, uh, who was a jester in the other world, bring him over to be Herc's new partner, a jittery guy afraid of his own shadow. So the, fa- the fans got wind of this, and they hated it, because believe me, Michael Hurst had his own incredible fan base that you know, that watched the show only if he was on it that week mm-hmm. and didn't care about uh, the, the show otherwise. They didn't want to hear anything about Eolus uh, being killed. They didn't want to see his uh, parallel self. They, they didn't want to see his evil self. They only wanted to see their guy. By the way, Michael Hurst was, was happy with all this. He gave, they, you know, they gave him new directions. <laughs> he also had his hands full. He was directing a lot of episodes. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that happened, and the fans hated it. And uh, I was kind of caught in the middle because although it wasn't my idea, and I didn't even think it was a good idea, but it's what the higher-ups wanted to do, so I didn't fight it. I went along with it. Yeah. They kind of kept me out of it because they knew I wasn't fully on board with it. But I was in the position of defending it at the conventions, and I wasn't going to tell them that I disagreed with it. Yeah. So anyway, the long answer is the fans, yes, you want to pay attention to the fans, and you hope they're happy. But when they when they turn against you, they uh, they, they can be pretty, you know the, the guys the engineers of that uh, the entire Kiliola storyline get death threats, uh, you know they had to pull out of it speaking at conventions and uh, they get badly stung by that. Well, the only brushback you would get when you appeared at conventions is that you looked a lot different than people imagine you, given that there was there was a fictional version of yourself portrayed on the show. Yeah, there was. <laughs> what, what happened was in the in the. Um, in the show's fourth season, Kevin Sorbo, as you know, had a series of strokes. Mm-hmm. He writes about that very eloquently in his own book called True Strength. And he had a miss basically the entire season of Hercules. So we had to scramble to do shows without our star. And uh, one of them was a modern day episode where we, the writers, the staff of Hercules, the producers and writers, would be sitting around the conference table trying to figure out how to 
how to keep the show alive. And we would be played by various members of the of the cast, the recurring cast, Bruce Campbell and Hudson Lake and so forth. And I would, would be played by Michael Hurst. When the writers pitched that idea at the meeting that day, we were all laughing our, our, our asses <laughs> off. But I'm thinking, you know, this is such an inch, you know, let's get serious here. We're not going to do this. Yeah. And uh, the studio is never going to stand for this. But Rob, our executive producer, was tickled by it. And he was going to be played by Bruce Campbell, who was an old friend of his anyway. So uh, that's, that show went ahead and it proved so popular that we did a sequel to it the next year. So in those two episodes, I was played by Michael Hurst, but a parody version of myself. Yeah. You know, but, but taking something from real life. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Vegas guy. Yeah. I was going to, you know, flying off to Vegas at midnight and coming back at 8 in the morning and, and going in for meetings. So they uh, made me a degenerate gambler. <laughs> drunkard and, and uh, cigarette addicted uh, sleaze bag yeah. and it was hilarious yeah. and uh, anyway the fans that they, they kind of knew my name and maybe expected that guy to come out on stage but uh, I had a little more name recognition than your typical writer producer on, on a show because of that particular uh, circumstance of the two episodes in which I appeared as a, as a character Paul Robert Coyle and I would imagine, Paul, it's very satisfying that among the episodes of Herc and Xena that you wrote, many of the ones that you wrote remain fan favorites after all these years. I'm glad to, you know, I'm happy to say that, yes. Um, I, I don't know why. I mean, some, a lot of them were, were crossovers, as I say. Since I had written with Xena, they entrusted me with the Xena character whenever she'd appear on, on our show. Uh, so those got to be uh, fan favorite episodes for, for that reason, and uh, and some others. So the answer is uh, yeah. And I was happy with the way you know you're never happy with equally with every the way every episode you wrote turns out. But by and large, I mean I wrote about between the two shows something like 25 episodes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was I was uh, more than happy. <laughs> the, the first, I mean, I, to to go back to that first Xena, it was a whole universe I wasn't really. Yeah, I found myself writing one, but I'm, you know, I'm saying, am I in over my head? Can I really crack what the show is about? And I tapped into the, the humor of the show. And uh, believe me, when I saw the film, when I saw what they had done with it, I, I was amazed. Every, every little detail you'd write and more that they would put in this on, on screen. And you'd write a little action beat where, you know, a couple of characters get involved in a scuffle. You'd write one or two lines about that. And there, there would be this elaborate um, production with uh, there's 15 stunt uh, people and uh, stunt guys on ratchets being hurled into the air. What ended up visually on camera was so much more than I wrote right from the get go. That was a, a new experience to me. It wasn't just two characters in a room, you know, talking. Yeah, I mean, I had a great experience on all the shows I wrote over the years and good production values on them, uh, all of them. But uh, these New Zealand shows took it to a different level. Swords, starships, and superheroes from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, available in paperback and as an ebook through Jacobs Brown Media Group, as well as Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. We mentioned earlier there are several things about the industry that I learned as a result of reading Swords, Starships, and Superheroes, Paul, one of which is something called spotting sessions. And before I ask you to explain what a spotting session is, I just want to preface it by saying one advantage of being a staff writer on a show is it gave you access to what's called spotting sessions, 
where you can correct or fix some things that at the last minute, either because of something that uh, you didn't catch during filming or because of one of the vagaries of shooting overseas, there are some things that you can't correct in New Zealand, but you can correct in the production room. Sure. Well, I didn't know what a spotting session was when I first came out. It's part of the post-production process. Yeah. You know, there's film editing, which everybody knows about, and there's sound editing for you know for both dialogue and looping and and uh, other uh, audio effects. So, uh, as you have to be at a producer level to uh, to for the writers guild will allow uh, a staff writer or story editor to be involved in spotting. But I came on with a co-producer credit and then graduated the producer. So right from the start, they said, we want you to do go to a spotting session. And I said, what's a spotting session? So it's a meeting of the post-production uh, supervisor and various sound people. A lot of technical stuff in there. But as a writer, what's happening is oh, there are so often, uh, let's say we've got uh, 10 seconds of dead silence over here while the camera's panning across a room and uh, we, we pick up uh, the character speaking. Well, what's what's going on during that 10 seconds? Can you write some filler dialogue to fill that hole? Which I would, and then Kevin Sorbo would record it or whatever actor would record it. And uh, technically, you know, had a lot of sound issues in New Zealand with the insects, uh, like cicadas, uh, you know, at a certain time of year would drown all the dialogue out. So everything had to be looped. But as a writer, I realized, you know, you're getting a little chance here to, to make some fixes. Yeah. Because typically, uh, you know, a lot of scenes would be cut. Uh, first assembly of an episode would often come in 14, 15, 18 minutes over long. And that many minutes had to be chopped out. So sometimes important plot information gets cut. And I'm being given a second chance now in terms of voiceover dialogue or looping that I can fit words in here that get lost along the way to make the story clearer for the audience. So that was a revelation. It's a it's a it's a writing thing. It's not just a technical, you know, <laughs> correct this re-record because of the, the sound in the background. So uh, I got to do that more and more. First, I did only my episodes, and I ended up doing everybody's episodes. A lot of writers, a lot of producers considered it a drag to sit here for three hours in a meeting and being asked to, you know, just to uh, fill a few words in here and there. Uh, also, you have to write the background. Uh, whenever there'd be a crowd in the background, you know, um, chanting or whatever, in reality, you, you don't want those actors saying anything on set. Right. They'd be interfering with the main uh, cast's dialogue. So now you come to, all right, what are they shouting in the background? Do you want them saying anything in particular? So I would write all that stuff. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's something I never got to ask to do as a freelance writer. So um, that was the whole aspect of the job that I came to love. Swords, starships, and superheroes from Star Trek to Xena to Hercules, available in paperback and as an ebook through Jacobs Brown Media Group, as well as Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Paul will be back for one more segment. We'll talk about his experience writing for Stephen King's The Dead Zone, kind of, sort of. We'll tell you what we mean by that when we continue our conversation with Paul Robert Coyle here on TV Confidential. Story Salon is Los Angeles's longest-running storytelling venue. We have live shows every Wednesday in Studio City, as well as solo shows, podcasts, CDs, and several books. Los Angeles Daily News calls Story Salon Gemstones of Narrative. Something new, funny, astonishing. Sunset Magazine says, Tales tall, tragic, and tantalizing. All of this makes Story Salon one of the most eclectic entertainment experiences available. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook page or by visiting our website, 
at www.storysalon.com. Accredited by Guinness World Records, welcome to Archival Television Audio, Incorporated. A peerless TV soundtrack archive, preserving the audio from television's first three decades, the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the golden and silver age of television. For more information, go to atvaudio.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.